Welcome back, everybody. Gonna record a podcast here. I'm by myself, actually. Um, so Ben helped me set up the camera and stuff. Um, I'm gonna get right into it. It's a question that came up, and I'm playing um, pretty good catch up on email stuff. Hunting season has been going uh, for most of us um, full full on, and it has been for a couple months now. Um, certainly not complaining about it, but it does create some issues with me um, being out of town, being out of reception area at times for extended periods of time. So I am playing some catch up on some emails. I want to thank you guys for the patience with that. This is actually an email that I received. It kind of ties into uh, some things that are going on with us. We've got some news. We've got, uh, um, it's not a secret if you follow us on Instagram or F Facebook or any of our social platforms, you'll know that I've been on a waiting list for um, an English setter puppy for the started looking probably about five years ago been waiting almost two years now after putting down a deposit pretty excited puppies on the ground right now three weeks old just posted an updated picture yesterday um really looking forward to that i just submitted actually my first uh column for gundog magazine um we're going to be writing a series of articles on that documenting that training process this one happens to touch on english setters as well so let me jump right into it here it is a message that came from ohio it came from austin it says uh, a couple weeks ago i sent a general message but wanted to touch base again now with a specific question and something we've been struggling with a lot of issues with our new puppy about three weeks ago we welcomed a new 10 week old english setter named colt into the family our other house dog is a five-year-old non-hunting rescue mixed breed. So far, Colt has been a great pup, showed tons of natural instincts. He has a very calm demeanor for a puppy, spending a lot of time curled up in our lap or with toys on his bed. That is, if our grown dog, Sedona, is in her crate. When both dogs are out, all hell breaks loose. All Colt wants to do is chase around the older dog, nip, wrestle. I have been working... With Sedona on ignoring these behaviors, but Colt is persistent. The wrestling gets Colt worked up and hyper and leads to other problems like nipping at the baby, chewing things, stealing stuff, running around the house with it. It's like he's a totally different dog in a very negative way. I feel somewhat confident that he'll outgrow it as I've seen some improvement just after three weeks, but it does cause a lot of trouble in our household and I want to address it. So far, I have addressed it by staggering crate time and attempting to calm them down and redirect them while they're both out. Obviously, having one out and one in the crate works, but I don't want that situ situation where one of our house dogs always has to be in a crate. Do you have any suggestions? Thanks, as always. You guys are awesome. I appreciate what you do. Now, so I think that's a real interesting question. It probably can relate to a lot of other people, which is why I pick some of these, because I think that if it's one person's scenario, it probably a lot of people can relate to it. I think this one can be related to specifically. I think it can be more generalized as well. I think what you're doing right now makes sense with the idea of separating them. I don't know that you have any other options. I think what what I what comes up is a lot of times when I tell people you need to do something, they t they explain to me their issue. I tell them what they need to do. I get a lot of, of feedback from people where, well, I don't want to have to do that forever. That's not why I got the dog. You know, you, you could use a lot of different examples. You could use. Um, taking the dog out to go to the bathroom and they say the dog runs off what should i do well you gotta put it on a lead for a while 
well, I don't want that. I, I don't want a dog that I have to put on the lead every time I go out. No, I didn't say you had to do it every time. What I said was you have to do it to change the behavior. So in this in this scenario, in, in this case, I think the same is true. And I think you're doing it. And I think it's a good idea. It's something that's not forever. I'm not saying you got to leave one dog in the kennel forever, but you will have to until you can start to address it. Now, let's look at this issue a little bit more broad. I think... What I like about it, and there's, again, oftentimes when someone sends me a question, my first response is, boy, I need some more information. So I ask more questions back. I won't be able to necessarily get them in this, but I'm going to make some assumptions. So one of the things that I like about it is Sedona, the five-year-old dog, I didn't read anywhere in here that she's instigating. I think it's a she. Um, yeah, she doesn't seem to be instigating issues. So I like that. I, I thought you were, you know, I've, I've, the other scenario is our five-year-old dog is a hellraiser and creates lots of issues. And I go, well, you've got a problem on your hands that cultural impacts and influences are going to start to shift the behavior of your young puppy that maybe is going to go in a, a direction of undesirable behavior. And so the part of that fix is, boy, you got to either fix the five-year-old dog or you got to keep the young dog away from the five-year-old dog more to ensure that you don't have that undesirable behavior taking place with the young dog. You don't have that. So I think you got a, a big, so we're not going to go down that direction. Like we'll, we'll take the other trail. And the other trail is you've got the five-year-old dog. It sounds like isn't the issue. It's the puppy. Now, is that an issue? Probably not. It's a puppy being a puppy. And so I, I, I'm careful when I say let a puppy be a puppy because your idea and my idea of letting puppies be puppies could be very different and they probably are and that's everybody's ideas very greatly so what i think you got to do is we got to look at this and go okay i'm assuming the five-year-old dog is not the problem so quite honestly i don't know that i punish the five-year-old dog that much i think what we do is we take this young dog and we ease it into the idea of slowly gaining some trust and gaining some responsibilities and gaining some freedoms that come along with earned good behavior. So the majority of the kennel time is probably the puppy. And not, and I don't know that that's a bad thing either because what's going to happen is it might be more challenging, but it's going to form habits with the young puppy that make it so much easier in the long run because all of a sudden the kennel time, the crate time is not going to be that bad. Now you can't lose those battles. You can't have the puppies throwing fits and then they get what they want. Like that's a kid throwing a tantrum and gets what he wants. So it's just going to create more tantrums. It's going to create a, a real struggle long-term. So, but I think you're right in addressing this. And, and I don't think it's surprising because we have to look at this as personalities in these two dogs are probably quite different. Like I'm assuming, I'm guessing that the Sedona five-year-old dog, if that dog's not creating issues, it's probably not a real dominant dog. And it's probably not, it's probably got a pretty nice disposition and temperament. And quite honestly, I don't care what the breed is. You got a mixed breed, non-hunting rescue. I could care less. Dog's a dog. This is one of those scenarios where we're not looking at hunting stuff specifically. So genetic makeup and inherent traits aren't, aren't nearly that important to me from a field standpoint, but temperament disposition, that, that stuff is really important to me. And it sounds like you've got a real nice, it's a, it's a plug for the idea of, you know, there are some really, really good dogs out there, mixed breed rescue, and you're getting the most out of it and it's getting the most out of you. So it's a perfect relationship there. Now with this puppy, the puppy comes in, you've got this 
field bred dog that probably has a lot of energy and natural instinct and you've recognized that in a lot of ways. Okay, now the question is, where do you, how do you harness some of that? How do you control some of that? How do you shape some of that to fit exactly what you want? I won't be worried about the hunting stuff. Like not at 10 weeks old, not at 13 weeks old, not at whatever age. That stuff is there, it's in there, and you'll get it out, but not in this settings. And you're not having issues in the field. Your email comes to me, and I think this is interesting, that a lot of the messages that I get aren't really connected to the field. Like people send messages and they're having struggles with their dogs. And I would say a majority of them don't have necessarily specific hunting things. And when they do have specific hunting things, oftentimes the root of the problem isn't hunting. It comes back to foundational stuff. And so I can't say it enough. I do. I I mean, I try to. And I probably sound like a broken record a lot with the idea of pounding home the importance of the foundation in the stuff that's early on. I, you know, the, I talked about the setter that we're going to be getting. The article that I'm writing, the column that I'm writing for Gundog Magazine that's going to document that is going to talk be just based on the amount of time. Like we're going to talk about some hunting stuff. But because in the first year, I will dabble into some of that stuff. We'll introduce things. I mean, it's a really important part of developing it in the developing that dog in the field and giving it the opportunity. But the rest of that is going to be no different than my Labradors, than my Goldens, than my Beagles, than my whatevers. Name it, you know, a, a handler's workshop in the spring will have 10 different types of dogs here, breed-wise. And the found, it's called a foundation workshop. And the reason is, is because their foundations are all the same and necessary all the same. So when we... When you start talking about this puppy, yeah, I think play, you know, at 13 weeks old, place training. You know, where are you at with place training? I, I, I'm looking forward to place training this setter of mine because my two buddies, two of my really good friends, have setters um, that are about seven or eight months old right now, and I've noticed that there are more there. There has seemed to be a bit more challenge with place training those two puppies and their litter mates. I think they've had more challenge from a place training standpoint than they typically do with our labs. <clears throat> I don't know why. So is it the dogs? Is it the approach of how we do it? I, I don't know because I haven't been there and I haven't seen how they do it. But I know that I've seen the results and those dogs are a little bit less apt to stay on place. I, I have a third puppy out of this setter clan that I have recently have friends that have. And she told me, good luck, place training your setter. And I said, nah, I think I'll be able to do it. Uh, will I be able to do it? Th- so I've had three, three examples now, very recent. And I look at it and I go, will I be able to do it the exact same way that I've done it for years and years and years with my lab? I'm guessing maybe not, based on the results that I've seen from these three. <clears throat> Does that mean it can't be done? Not at all. Does that mean it might be have to be done differently i think so so i got the i've i've got the luxury of kind of like i got to see that ahead of time so my little senses are up like i'll be watching and i'll be paying attention to it a little different i'll probably be for me place training is not hard like place training is pretty easy really easy actually now will it be will i be able to take it on the same way i don't know that i will and so what i'll have to do is i'll pay way more attention to it I'll treat it, I won't treat it with the same like kind of relaxed approach that I normally do because 
I feel like I've done it so many times with so many different dogs, it's just not an issue. And I'm looking at this and going, okay, there's a commonality here. There's a theme. These three setters that I've watched struggle with it. And so is it the actual training or is it how we trained it? And so I'm going to look at it and go, I might have to train it differently. I might just have to pay a little bit closer attention to it. So place training, I think, is important. The beauty of it is for you with, with Colt is that the idea of if you can get that, it creates the separation from Sedona, the other dog. I mean, if you do it well, then they are, that's, that's the beauty of place, is that place training is a, a safe place, a protective place that the dog can be in with a little bit of freedom. It's just another level of freedom outside of the crate that doesn't allow for it to find itself in trouble. It's way more restricted than running around the house. It's way more, it's more restricted. You know, some people look at, I guess you can look at this as, you know, scaling. So you got the crate, which is pretty much control. But if you got too big of a crate, you can have issues with that. So you got the right sized crate is the maximum control. The dog just literally can't do anything bad in there. I mean, especially if it's the right size, so it's not having an accident in the back. And if you're that's housebreaking stuff. We've done other podcasts on that. It's in our training videos. So the right size kennel. Then as the kennel gets bigger, when I say kennel, I mean crate. As that gets bigger, now the next thing I think is freedom to them is maybe it's with me outside under supervision. If it's not under super supervision and really close, maybe it's that place. You give them a, a designated area that they can be and have a little bit more freedom, but not necessarily 100%. From there, you know, maybe it's certain parts of the house. Like I've lived in houses where we had dogs that were allowed on hard, on hard floors. They weren't allowed on anything with carpet, but they were allowed on hard floors. I've had dogs that are allowed in certain rooms that have hard floors and, and you can set up fences or gates, little, little kitty gates, and you can establish that early on. You can have differences. And I've had, I have had houses where we have Tile goes to hardwood floor. Well, the dog, it's a clear barrier. Like you can see it. The dog starts to learn that you can't go into that hallway. And then the dog learns. I mean, they lay there and they literally don't you know, put their foot right on the line. And they, so that's all stuff that's understood and developed of these barriers, these, these perimeters. So I think what we need to do with Colt, especially at 13 weeks is you, you confine the dog to where it's, finding success. And then as it gets a little more mature, which you brought up, you know, maybe he'll grow out of it. I wouldn't bank on the idea of, well, I just hope he grows out of it. Because the problem is, is if it, what's happening right now with the all hell breaks loose in your words is those are forming habits. Those that's, that's behavioral stuff that's being forged in that dog. So I want to minimize that stuff. Like I don't want to allow things that are ultimately undesirable and things that I don't want in the end. I don't want them to continue to happen with the idea of, I hope they grow out of it because it's not going to, the more they do it, the more often they do it, the more repetitions they do it of whatever that behavior is, is the stronger it becomes ingrained in them. The harder it is to reverse, the more it will always be there at at some degree to some degree. So we don't want to allow this stuff. So it's, it's stop the bleeding. It's plug the hole. It's whatever analogy you want. Stop the behavior from happening. Start to figure out the plan of how do we, how do we control it? How do we get our arms wrapped around it? 
literally and figuratively? How do we get this thing so that we can slowly allow the dog to develop and mature and then give them a look, give them an inch and then give them another inch and then give them another inch without them taking a foot and losing that, losing the, all the positive stuff that we gain from it. So I do think that it's more kennel time for Colt. It's slowly, it's developing place. And when you do, when, now when you go to start working on place, don't have Sedona around. It's too tempting early on. Maybe down the road in a few weeks, you put Sedona in the other, in another room or in the other end of the room and you make sure that Sedona's not teasing and picking fights and challenging. And as long as that stuff's not happening, you, it's slowly, it's like a micro version of what we do with everything we do with a hunting dog. You know, I don't go out into a, a field full of distractions and start working on retrieving. I start retrieving in a really sterile environment where there's no distractions, where there's no opportunity to fail. The hallway with the doors closed makes it really difficult for a dog to screw up. And then they get good at that. And then we slowly take steps to add distractions. Well, this is the same exact process. It's just a different set of set of stuff you're learning. So I'd place train. I'd also have the idea of that when the two are in, I don't think you separate them forever. And I think you, as you slowly start getting them more and more closer in contact, it's maintaining and understanding that this is always going to be some training. This is an opportunity for training. And so it's always have control of Colt. I'm assuming you don't have to have control of Sedona because it sounds like Sedona's pretty well groomed and pretty behaving the way you want. So it's maintaining that control. So that might mean putting Colt on a lead. So whenever Colt's on a lead, because if you take, if you put the dog on a lead, dog can't run in and charge in on Sedona, can't wrestle with them, can't, you know, can't get at the stuff that creates the nipping, the wrestling, the, all that stuff that you described, which then spill is seeming to spill over with not just Sedona, but your kids and all this all this stuff that you're spiraling, it sounds like, in the wrong direction. You're snowballing. And it's starting with Sedona. That's that's because they're two dogs. And now I'm going to circle back. I kind of started talking about it, but I didn't really go into it completely. But personalities are different, it sounds like. It sounds like Colt maybe has a personality of a little bit more challenging, a little more dominant, a little bit more. So now you start analyzing and understanding like what's the makeup of these two individual dogs, not just from a breed standpoint, not just from an age standpoint and a maturity standpoint, but a personality standpoint. I've got some dogs that just always want to be the leader. And so when they're, especially in this case, you've got a younger dog that maybe is trying to be the leader of the older dog. It's a personality thing you're not going to control that because you don't control Sedona. Like Sedona's personality is Sedona's personality and Colt's personality is his personality. And those two are going to figure that stuff out between the two of them. You really can't impact that. You're not going to make Sedona be the leader. But what you have to understand is that Colt is going to probably become the leader in that scenario, it sounds like. You need to be the leader of all the scenarios. And so does your kids. And so does your wife. And so does everyone else in that family. And what's probably going to happen is old Colt there is going to get some momentum when he decides I'm only 14 weeks old and I'm dominating this, this old five-year-old dog. Now I'm going to dominate that little kid. And now I'm going to dominate her and I'm going to dominate him. And he just starts getting this momentum of I, this pack needs a leader. I'll be it. No, we're not going to allow that to happen, Colt. 
And so real early on, it's we take we we take that right out from underneath them. No, you're we're, and that doesn't mean bullying, picking on, roughing up. It's not necessary. It's just being a good leader, and that all of this stuff is going to circle back and be connected to the idea of that's how your whole pack is going to operate better. You're you're going to get better results from a dog that wants to work for you because you're the boss. And he doesn't mind it. In fact, he likes it. Dogs look for leadership. And if they don't find it, they become. That's that's just in them. So if you provide them, I don't care how dominant the dog's personality is. I've seen some really, really dominant dogs before. I mean, I've seen enough that I, I can say with confidence, I've seen all ends of the spectrum. I've seen some really dominant dogs. I've seen some really submissive dogs. And I've seen do- dogs in the middle. The most dominant dogs I've ever seen come in. And when I first witness it, I look at it and I go, oh my God, that dog is so such a dominating thing. But I don't go into my, when I start to interact with that dog, I don't go into it with the attitude of, oh, you are the boss. And I am really going to have to try to figure out how to have you think I'm the boss. Like right away, walking into that with that mentality, the dog goes, you're my bitch. Like, he will dominate me if you go into it with that. I don't do that. No, I don't go into there going, I'm going to beat the hell out of you either. Because I don't think you get respect from anybody that way. I think you trigger dogs like that. I think it's impulsive for dogs to kind of, they got to fight back. They got to show, they got to prove themselves. No, I go into it pretty relaxed, pretty calm, but I don't take any crap from them either. And I make it very quick and understood that. And it's amazing how the most dominating dogs that are just walking all over their owners and anyone and everything around them, when I walk in and I'm real assertive and I just, I don't deal with it. I mean, that snap of the fingers, it's my attitude. Stop it. My tone, my body language, my everything about me tells them you're behind me. And it's amazing how the most dominating dog just stops at that point and goes, Okay. Now, will they test you a little bit at times? Will will they? I've never walked into a dog like that and been strong and confident and had them dig their feet in and say, "I'm going to battle you tooth and nail." No, I've not. I've not seen it because I just don't think that that's the nature of the dog. And I really believe that we are the problem ninety nine percent of the time. The, how we approach it. So with you, I think it's get a hold of Colt real easily, re- real quickly. And I don't want to p- extinguish excitement and dr- quote unquote drive. And I don't want to, I don't want to put wet towels on that. But I also look at it and go, the majority of the dogs that are out there have got more of that than we'll ever need or want anyway. So don't be so afraid of that. Don't be so afraid of extinguishing these dogs. I think it's go in there and be the confident person that you need to be and watch how quickly they they fall into place. And I don't think you're going to run like that's that's for that's for everyone that's listening to this. It's not just for Austin in this scenario. But I think what's what, what in Austin for Austin's case in this scenario with Colt and Sedona, Colt specifically, I bet you, if you do that, 
and everyone else does that and you start training the people around you to do the same thing, you're going to see some really quick changes in cold. And the, and the all hell breaking loose, prob, all of a sudden it goes away. And it's not because you changed cold. You didn't change cold. You just recognized the situations that you were putting cold into were setting them up to fail. And when all of a sudden you quit setting dogs up to fail, they succeed. And when you start setting them up the majority of the time to succeed, the success becomes the behavior. Like it becomes normal and it becomes habitual. And then all of a sudden, you're, the momentum continues the same way it was before. It's just in the other direction. So the, the, the takeaway from all of this is, guys, if you're having a specific problem, this one is one, but there's other, there's other issues. And it can be any other issue. And this answer can blanket be a blanket answer for it. Not the specifics, but the general. It's the idea of set up the dog to be successful. Stop putting him in positions to fail and hoping he grows out of it or they grow out of it. Stop putting them, stop repeating whatever is creating the issue. And that, that takes some thinking on your part because now we're not just fixing the situation in the moment. Instead, we're looking at it and go, how come we're dealing with it in the first place? And then we change that at its core, not fix in the moment. You got to fix in the moment at times too. Like you got you, and that comes with experience, and that comes with doing it a lot of times. And that's when something happens. This is how I respond. It's just it's it's reflex. We talk about how when you get confident and you get good at stuff, it becomes reflex for you to deal with certain things. Well, it's also reflex for the dogs to do certain things in certain situations, and that comes from confidence and doing things over and over, replicating things over and over and over until it becomes habit. It's, they got to have the habits the same as we do. We got to have the same habits formed to make it so that we can lead them to be successful. And all of that boils down to being a good leader. So I hope this helps, Austin. I think what you've got is an understand. I hope your takeaway from this is I got to just change my setup. And it's not forever. I'm not saying that any of the, and nothing I do with a dog is forever. I do certain things in the beginning, I do certain things in the middle, I do certain things towards the end. And I have the willingness and the ability to like shift what we're doing based on different scenarios and situations. We, we got to get past black and white when it comes to dogs. We got to get past the idea of it's this or that. It's not this or that. It might be this, that, or the other thing. And there could be a lot of them. And that could be today and it could be different tomorrow. We have to understand that that's just, that's just the way it is. And so we have to get rid of the mindset of needing everything to be so perfect all the time. It's not going to be. Be, be willing to adjust. Be willing to be flexible. Try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. If it doesn't work, try something else. When it does work, recognize why. And then start moving in that direction. So that's it um, for this one. Austin, I'm going to send you an email um, I appreciate the question. I think it's a good question. I think it's probably something that I hope helps others. And I hope you guys can look at this and go, uh, these answers maybe relate to my specific situation in this way. And maybe it's a, a, a lot of the same generalized things that you could take away from this podcast, but you got to dial it in specifically to your situation and make it, make the adjustments accordingly. So thank you guys for the, for the support. 
Uh, I'm going to get this to Ben. Ben's going to get this out, uh, probably turn this out pretty quickly. Appreciate everything um, as far as your patience goes with this and appreciate you following along. If you do us one favor, if, you, if you're listening to this where there's a place where you could give it a rating or give it um, like some comp, like there's spots where you can give comments, please do. It helps us, A, understand better what we're doing well and what we're not doing well things that we can improve on, but it also helps with us be able to get this in front of other people that it potentially will help. And that's, that is a hundred percent the reason why we're doing it. Um, so if you would do that for me, that's the only favor I ask. Thank you guys. Appreciate your support and good luck in your training.